This week on the Road to Cinema podcast, we join Oscar-winning directors T.J. Martin and Daniel Lindsay for a conversation about their new documentary, L.A. 92, which premiered at this year's Tribeca Film Festival and is available now to watch on demand through Nat Geo, as well as through Hulu, Amazon Instant Video, and iTunes. Using archival footage and an original music score, L.A. 92 tells the story of the aftermath of the Rodney King verdict in the city of Los Angeles through the uprising that took place in the days and weeks following. The film also explores the social and racial context that had developed in South Los Angeles through the community's relationship with the LAPD, which dated back to the 1960s. We'll delve into a detailed conversation about documentary filmmaking and how archival footage can be an immersive tool for telling a story. TJ and Daniel also have a candid conversation about what it means to be a documentary filmmaker and how their careers changed after winning Oscars for Best Documentary Feature for the 2012 Academy Awards, that film being Undefeated, which chronicled an inner-city high school football team in Memphis, Tennessee, which is now available on Netflix. For more information on the Road to Cinema podcast, please visit jogroadproductions.com. Don't forget you can subscribe to Jog Road Productions on YouTube and check out some of our video interviews with Don Cheadle, Hewan McGregor, Greta Gerwig, Moon Zappa, and many more. Follow us on Twitter, at Jog Road, Instagram, Jog Road Productions, like our Jog Road Productions Facebook page, and don't forget to hit that subscribe button on iTunes for the Road to Cinema podcast, and also on iTunes, you can write us a nice review under the iTunes podcast page for the Road to Cinema podcast. And now for a detailed conversation on documentary filmmaking and their new film, LA-92, Oscar-winning directors T.J. Martin and Daniel Lindsay. So I wanted to start off by talking about why you guys decided to take this very specific approach with the L.A. riots, with the Rodney King verdict, to focus on archival material and to tell the story primarily and uniquely just through that material. Um, I, I think from the start, you know, we have a background in more verite style documentary filmmaking so we're always looking for something that has a little bit more of an active storyline um, and we kind of tend to avoid uh, material that requires you to kind of look at it in retrospect we have talking heads kind of you know you for, for one your notes through a specific filter um, and you are almost distanced from from the experience of the film um, and two it, it there's a it's there's you're looking at things in reverse so we, the reason we kind of took that approach, well, first we should say that the producers, Simon and Jonathan Shin, had already set up the film with National Geographic and they were looking for, um, you know, it was already set up and they were looking for directors. And so when they came to us, they had already kind of put together like a sizzle reel of just to try to basically court us. Um, and in that we saw, <clears throat> we had seen a lot of footage that, you know, at, at the time, during the you know ninety two unrest, we were both in middle school. So stuff in water, in revisiting that sizzle reel, there is material that we hadn't seen before or stuff we'd forgotten about. But there was a specific moment um, of a gentleman who 
who's in the film who's wielding the hammer. He's saying, you know, this is uh, this is not right. I come from the ghetto too. This gentleman by the name of Arthur Washington. That was and a very powerful scene. As yeah, his, yeah. You know, his business was being destroyed, and he was trying to yeah. know, extend an olive branch out to people. Yeah, yeah. Extend an olive branch, or he was basically having a meltdown in front of camera. Yeah. Um, and and that for us, that emotional candor was kind of like if we can preserve that the integrity of the humanity in that moment, um, then maybe we're looking at these events in a and revisiting them in a different light than what has been done in the past. And so uh, the idea was, well, let's maybe we just do construct it with no voices and you just contextualize it through uh, materials that were at your disposal at that time and just try to, again, preserve, you know, uh, every facet of every clip and it's kind of uh, um, the integrity of, of what it was without clouding it too much um, but not 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 avoiding um, the basic kind of uh, beats of the storyline and, and kind of the basic elements of how we got to that place and how those events transpired um, that was the idea then setting out to go do that was a whole different Hold their ball game. And did you guys know what materials that you would have access to and what you could license and, and what was out there in a general way? Um, well, we didn't, very I, no, we didn't know we didn't know what would be there. I mean, we uh, kind of had an assumption, but we didn't, you know, in terms of what broadcast stuff would exist, but we didn't know um, in terms of like personal home video, um, what kind of like radio stuff surprisingly radio is really difficult like there's not a lot of archive of radio um, um, and yeah no we didn't I mean there was a there was definitely a bit of it of like jumping off a building and hoping your parachute yeah. opens um, because the the, vi the uh, you know news footage you know you can go to archive vendors mm -hmm. and find that but to find radio but materials, even though even video. the even the archive like so if you like go to ABC news source and you're you make a request for um, you know stuff related to the the LA riots they're gonna send you a 45 minute clip reel that has like the just the like their like quote unquote best of B roll and the little moments that you've seen everywhere. Yeah. So they're not gonna like dig deep for you no. and find what you. Um, and then so we would have to keep pressing them back. Like the thing we're really going for is like unaired raw tapes, which is I don't know on its face seems like oh you know they've got their archive they've got their tapes but it's way more difficult uh, even like. Places that will send you, I, I don't want to get too in the weeds of like <laughs> of this, but like, you know, places that will send you maybe one raw tape and then you go to license the most and they're like, oh, you can't use that. And you've already built the film. You're like, why can't you? Well, we, we just changed our policy that uh, now you can't use anything that wasn't aired. Like we had that happen a couple of times. Um, so... Yeah, I don't know. I kind of wandered. I don't know if I answered the question or not, but... Um. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just it's such like, you know, because the film is made up of all of this unique material. So yeah. the search for it, using it, implementing it, I mean, it just must be kind of a, a frustrating process. It's an extremely frustrating process, but at the same time, the... 
again, the intent was not to make a journalistic endeavor, right? This is the 25th year anniversary, and first of all, that had been done before, and we also knew that there's probably going to be other either films or TV specials or something that are always kind of usually taking a uh, deconstructive, like, this happened, this happened, this, and this is how we arrived at this place. Uh, you know, for us, it was... Um, from a creative standpoint, that's not of interest. And two, there's potentially a level of um, being irresponsible by doing that way because you're then telling the audience that's the definitive reasons as to why American society arrived to this place of one of the most destructive moments in American history. There's a lot more at play than just what you can fit in a 90-minute in a film. Um, so for us, the as difficult as it was to try to find the materials, the liberating facet of it was, if you just have the basic tenets of the story beats, what we're actually looking at is um, human uh, uh, American society and how people react during those moments. So the liberating part is we thought of it more as like a symphony. Like, can we just create a space and the film moves in like symphonic movements and it's almost like an opera. And what you're looking at, you're more holding up a mirror to American society than you are saying, I need every single nick and cranny of the story beat of all the things happening during the civil unrest. Versus if I hit this story beat, but I can see how people are reacting to this, for example, the, um, the release of both Tasha Harman's um, um, murder. Uh, how is the Korean community reacting to it? How is the Afro-American community reacting? How is... How's government reacting to it? How is uh, how is law enforcement reacting to it? And that's kind of really what the film is. Is more is this inner cutting and interweaving between a variety of different uh, uh, communities and perspectives uh, of surrounding the events. Um, so there's something kind of liberating about that because anything can really be a nugget, like something really special. I think that's. I mean, TJ said earlier that you know we come from more of a verite background and we're more interested in that style of in terms of documentary filmmaking that we're more interested in that style and there's something to, you know when you're shooting verite doc you don't film you don't you miss moments and you like um there's there's some parallel there like where you like beat yourself up because you didn't you missed a moment or you didn't but then you have to remember like the audience never knows there what that, that, that happens <laughs> yeah and so like there's a similarity or a parallel to this. Yes, we would have wanted every piece of footage, but in some respects you're tied to what you can get and then you have to make the film out of that. Um, the, you know, the struggle with this is, is was there going to be enough to provide the, the, a proper amount of context so that it just wasn't, and it didn't become um, exploitative where you're just taking extremely provocative moments and images and putting them in a way that is just very, is just provocative without any substance behind it. And that was the real challenge. And at what point early on in that process did you have a solid structure of what the whole of the movie would be? And even, you know, at a point using music score, which is, you know, very dominant in the film, mm -hmm. and very powerful. I mean, the structure, I mean, we like most, I think people use note cards for, you know, to represent scenes and we'll structure out our film on a board while we're editing. 
I would say we moved. And it gets turning it rearranged yeah. a million. Times. But this was the le- this <laughs> has the least, the least amount yeah. of movement of the cards because it was just like we're not rewriting history. Yeah, it was history, and we also were pretty adamant about not cheating anything. So like, I mean, for the most part, there's nothing that is out of order in the presentation of the material, um, and. Or like there's nothing that we're using to represent. I mean, maybe here and there there's like a represent like a fire that we're showing that might be from earlier in the day than when we're showing, but like yeah. um so yeah, there wasn't a lot of like structural thing. It was more the the molding in the edit, like you're saying, the getting the getting the the pacing and the structure within moments down and that was like a whittling thing and it was also like uh yeah throwing throwing shit against the wall i mean the music was from the beginning we knew that we were gonna do it was gonna be very important and that we wanted to do a symphonic score and we pulled a ton of references uh and and cut to those but um I mean, the final music by Danny and Saunders, uh, some of it, it matches kind of what we had in there, and then others is them just like kind of taking inspiration from what they saw. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, the music is, in terms of structure, we knew from the outset that it was going to be extremely important making it a cohesive piece because obviously we're using all of these disparate yeah. pieces of material to try and string along a narrative it's really i mean it's the it's uh it's the it's certainly a big facet of what's that's like it's almost like the glue of the of the whole film and and you know you know you don't really want music to be like the driving force to the point where it's like feel this yeah but but it, in this case, it kind of has to, but right, so it has to be done really tastefully. So it's in, 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 in a weird way, it's like, it's heightening the tension, but you don't want to overstep your boundaries. So I, you know, to their credit, I think they really like understood what we were going for and found a really interesting space with the music being really the director of the film. And it also reminds you of what type of film you're watching like you it reminds you that you're in an experience and not um like waiting for something to like settle down and i'm just gonna settle into this like scene yeah like it's very immersive when you're extremely yeah. immersive and it just kind of keeps moving like i think we're the first to admit that it's an exhausting film a friend of ours watched a rough cut and said something to the effect of um it's like uh, an inescapable conflict of emotions. That's the experience of watching the film. I thought that was very accurate. Um, How long was that rough cut that you had made at that point? Oh man, our this is probably the shortest. Our roughs were not no, as we long. We didn't have any. Our first well, rough no, we did. Well, it was because we we created this in such oh, in like sections. Piecemeal, yeah. but like the se- like sections yeah. were really long. Yeah, you'd have like the the. The verdict scene, like the release of the announcement of the verdict, um, that leads all the way down to night one. I mean, the first iteration of just the announcement of the verdict leading to the flashpoint of Florence and Normandy was like, like 45 minutes, 50 minutes. 
it was it was compelling. There's no way that could be in the <laughs> film that long. <laughs> but you know that was in in cutting that, knowing that was kind of like the nucleus of the experience of the film. Like, can you sustain interest in that in that space? Can you sustain tension in that space? Even though most people go into it know what's going to happen, can you actually get to the point where there's no lead character there's no like you're not following a singular journey but can you can you attach yourself to the way in which communities are reacting to it um and that was i think one of the first things we cut where we realized like this is like three months into the edit we're like okay if we can do this for the rest of the film this will work um and it was yeah it was like a 45 minute epic (laughs) <laughs> like, when, when you guys have long sequences like that that are 45 minutes in the rough cut how do you go about refining it and pulling back and, and trying to get to the core of, of what the moments are try not to fall in love with the stuff yeah I don't know I don't think there's like I think there's like a how is we I don't want to like say that you don't have very like we obviously have very specific ideas and we put a shit ton of thought into every moment that is on screen but like paradoxically paradoxically um you also are just going with what feels right you know like I th- um you kind of like strip you know you experiment and like oh what happens if you take this away what happens if you smash these two moments together? Oh, shit. Th- those two things say more than the last. Now we can get rid of that five minutes there. But, like, it's not like you can step back and look at it and just be like, do this, 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 and this, and then we're done. And maybe some people work like that. I don't know. But ours is, our process is way more, um, it's not like trial and error, again, without thought. Like, there's an extreme amount of thought that goes into everything. But then there is just also, like, Let's just let's let's operate from a place of feeling. What does it feel like to like move this there? What does it feel like to just take this? You know, there was a um, we we originally went right or not originally when doing one of our rough cuts, we put two scenes next to each other, and it was we went right from the Reginald Denny beating to. it just happened to cut against a scene of a woman looking to try to get back to her apartment because she thought her kids were there and it was she was right at Florence and Normandy. But it was nighttime now. And like it was such a weird contrast to go from this like extremely visceral, heightened, um, violent scene to this really simple human scene. Now we didn't ultimately end up <laughs> doing that in the film because we had to like show that Parker Center ended up, you know, in downtown LA. There was a we had a responsibility to the story itself to, um, but that was like, uh, you know, that was a, an accident that was really instructive to us of like, oh, we can smash cut later on in the film between two moments and they will bring meaning, more meaning to the audience than maybe we could have sat with a pencil and paper outlining what that would have been. Yeah, but the general process is we tend to um, cut long. So like, because, you know, because there's two of us and we're talking about a, 
around 2,000 hours of footage. And you're both editing simultaneously? Yeah, we usually sit in a room together and we, uh, yeah, and we're both. Separate computers, though. Separate computers. um, And then, yeah, which is, can be really, it's funny because it can be really efficient for like quick ideas, quick like, hey, what do you think of this? And then sometimes really inefficient because you're constantly telling, hey, somebody's somebody's in a rhythm (laughs) and you're like, hey, what do you think of this? Hey, let's talk to me through, talk to me through this stuff. Um, So, but the, um, I think the intention is at least one person should, the intent usually is at least one person to get their eyes on all the footage. We quickly realized, given our schedule, that was not going to happen. Dan, like, plowed through, like, the first 600 hours or something like that and made, like, detailed notes and then we were like, we have to cut a little quicker. <laughs> we're, we're coming on, you know, we're getting close to, to the deadline. Um, so once that happened, we realized the, the combination of us, uh, we did bring in uh, another editor and then the rest of the research team and our lead researcher and our AE and like, we had a pretty tight, you know, probably the core team was like six, six people. Mm-hmm. Amidst all of us, we can get all of our eyes on all the footage. So everyone should take notes if there's something that just might feel special. Um, we, I mean, for the most part, we we familiarize ourselves with the basic tenets of what was in, in that basic content. Um, but the usually we cut long so that when we present kind of uh, potential where a scene can go, we can all kind of get our eyes on it. What's the the best selects of the this moment in time and then if that so like take that 45 minute sequence from the verdict to the beating of Reginald Denny then we can kind of all weigh in on how to maybe shape it and then the shaping is a little bit more it's a combination of feeling what's repetitive and it's almost like there's a facet of it that's you're also looking at this is terrible to say this when you're working with non-actors but you're looking at performance Two people might be saying the same thing, but the way in which someone emotes, for lack of better terms, their performance in saying this thing, just is much more visceral. And that's when Dan talks about like some of his intuition and what feels right. I'm gonna cut out the other one, um, and then do I want to follow it up with something that's equally strong in emotion? Probably not. I need to give the audience a breather and then come back up. So a lot of it's very, um, it's very rhythmic. It's very kind of fluid, and it is as long as you thinking about a lot of things, doing it responsibly, making sure the information is there, making sure the right context in which you're viewing the material is there. And this is for every clip, not just like, you know, a five minute scene. Every clip, we think through all these things. So How that, one clip relates to the one preceding and the exactly. one after. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. so that's why it's kind of, it, when Dan says it's like, some of it's just a feeling like, it is. You're thinking through all these things, and eventually you come out on the other end, and it's like, okay, does this does this feel right after we put it through this tremendous amount of filters? You know. Well, I was curious. What were some of the most surprising sources you found for getting this footage? Because some was home video, some was from news. You know, it was, it was sort of a variety, from what I understand. Most surprising. I mean, like. Like, were you guys sort of digging through finding people who lived in the area who may have had home video footage or going to unexpected sources? I mean, the most surprising thing to me was, and it maybe shouldn't have been, but was the police um, archives. So, like, the police had two videographers that were filming during the whole 
experience. Was that just for their own internal use? For I the think so. Part? I mean, like you watch a lot of the tapes are like them going around filming looters um, license plates and then filming them. So I'm sure they were collecting evidence, um, which, you know, we, we unfortunately got that stuff kind of late because I think there could have been a really, mm -hmm. this idea of video journalism to expose, but then it also being flipped over the ubiquitousness of video cameras to be able to use as evidence against people. Um, but yeah, that stuff was surprising that, you know, they filmed like crime scenes. That's the, you know, there's several, and in a moment we show like the human toll of it and actually show some of the dead bodies and those, that's all from the police um, video. And that was just buried in the city archives. Like they had the police and fire, like internal media division had made a documentary about the experience to show, I'm assuming to show to like cadets and stuff like that. Um, it was obviously very slanted towards the police, um, but uh, but there was you know they had a lot of material there, and then this happened to be all of the raw tapes that they used, and it was just sitting in a box at the city archives. Um, and uh, I mean that was part of our Ben Piner, who was our um, one of our producers and led all of the of the um, archival research. Like he he basically like showed the city archivist how to like digitize a VHS tape we, I think we bought him a <laughs> thing so he could like digitize these things and send files to us um, uh, which is funny because then there was other projects that, that really benefited them because then they could yeah. go to the city archives <laughs> and they're like oh I know how to do this you know after we had kind of like done the initial work to um, to make that happen but um, but yeah that was the one that I mean there's home, yeah. people's home video yeah. stuff but like there's also a lot of stuff that didn't make it. I think that yeah. there's there's a lot of moments like um, so there's a moment when uh, uh, Korean older Korean woman is protecting. She's actually protecting her friend's store, but it, in the film it plays as if she's protecting her own store, and she's kind of guarding this broken window. And there's uh, kind of like a sea of men. Uh, one of which trying to get in to loot it, and she keeps saying, this is America, this is America, and there's this kind of like really dynamic, um, uh, like conflicted conversation happening between a Korean woman, a Latino gentleman, a uh, 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 black dude, and like every, and then like an Eastern European guy, and you know, she's saying, this is America, you can't come in here, another guy is saying like, go home, you know, send all the, uh, Latino dudes telling, I'll tell, you know, all the Chinese should go home. She's like, I'm not Chinese. She's telling them, you can't come in here. This other guy's saying, like, well, if this is America, how come you can't come in? And it's just, it was such a very um, disheartening yet comedic. Uh, surreal in a surreal way. Surreal yeah. reflection of, of, of what she's saying. This is America. What is happening right in front of the camera. What, so it's moments like that, and that was a CNN clip that I don't know if the clip had ever been f broadcast in its entirety. In fact, I don't know if it ever actually was broadcast versus just it was just a raw piece that was just... So it, I think there was a lot of gems where, uh, if anything, that says a little bit about uh, how you package news stories, not recognizing kind of how, how much this moment played out in its raw form probably says a lot more about us uh, as a society than a prepackaged you 
know, broadcasted, um, you know, CNN piece, uh, uh, trying trying to wrap their head around the civil unrest. Yeah, because it makes you look at broadcast journalism in a different way because yeah. all the stories are slanted to a very specific agenda of what they're trying to make the narrative out to be. And yeah. did you find that looking at a lot of archive material that it was edited in a way initially for TV that may have been a little uh, off kilter in a sense of what yeah. the events were? I mean, there was, I think there's two things. One, we, the way you preface that question, we knew, obviously we knew that, like there's bias in the news media. So we were really, it was really important to us to have the moments with the journalists getting ready to go on the air so that you could, I mean, one big theme of this film is, is facade, like the facade of the American multicultural society um, that, you know, the facade that there's no class in America, the fa you know, but one of those other facades is this like journalistic um, notion of the broadcast media that like, objective yeah, that they're objective and, um, and that, you know, the calmness sometimes with which they're getting ready and then they come on the air and it's like, oh my God, this is, or vice versa, you know, it's really crazy and they come on, well, John, um, so it was really important to us to indicate that to the audience. Um, in terms of looking at the way those things were packaged together, I, yeah, I was, I was um, uh, surprised that, how well number one how little we've evolved in that if anything it's maybe gotten worse um through the kind of 24-hour news cycle um where it's become more and more like entertainment and less actual news reporting um and uh i also i think you saw a lot of like ignorance um cultural ignorance on the uh behalf of the on behalf of the uh, news media like really simplistic um, notions of communities and like you know just blanketed statements of like well this area is like this and it's like what <laughs> how can you use this like that's 50,000 people that live there how could you say that they are all the same um, uh, but yeah there was a lot of that like dumbing things down to really digestible ideas. Yeah, I gotta think about that one a little bit longer. Yeah, because it's, it's, uh, it's, it was complicated for us because we also knew that, like, how do you make sure that the audience knows that this is a, one POV and also just another community amidst all the other communities that you're, 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 you're exploring the events through? Um, but also it's going to be our, you have to vacillate between them recognizing um, this facade, as Dan mentioned, but at the same time, when we need to get pertinent information out from a story standpoint, yeah. guess who we're relying on, yeah. right? <laughs> um, so it, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, the, I think the biggest surprise for us was uh, a, from, you know, a, the cultural bias from a dominant culture not seemingly so disconnected from what is happening in um, in certain you know communities within a city that they're supposed to be you know um, uh, uh, you know kind of the 
journalists on behalf of the stories of these, you know, these communities with that live within these cities, like the consistency of being so disconnected from these stories and these realities, specifically, let's just say, of South LA. Um, but then, you know, the film starts in 65 watts and going through a lot of that footage, there's probably better reporting and better journalism, but still a very distinct uh, ocean between the person who's reporting on behalf of this community what they're going through in the community themselves. And that just, is, it's this, it was the same thing. There's just yeah. such a disconnect. Um, and that, that was uh, the beginning of us, or not the beginning, but one of the many things we recognize in terms of the other dominant theme in the film is the you know, kind of cyclical nature of, of not just the events, but how we assess them, how we, how we report on them, how we analyze them. Um, but uh, in recognizing how that hadn't changed much from 65, if anything, the journalism got worse in 92. Uh, it was much more geared toward entertainment yeah, than today, yeah. obviously. Yeah, in and, the well, sewer. And, and entertainment and, and, you know, talk about, you know, the thing we didn't want to do is be provocative, provocative states. And sometimes, you know, you capture something on film and even if the journalist is saying these are horrific images that there's just something kind of feels off and when when in that presentation because it feels like they it feels like they know they've got a good news story right because the imagery the imagery is provocative so but that's a total tangent but the the thing that really stood out to us is the um the very almost the the parallels and the specificity of not just the reporting but the events themselves in in 65 and that's what we open one of the reasons we open in 65 watts and in 92 is that's really started speaking to us in terms of the dot one of the dominant themes being cyclical and that's kind of what you start to experience over the course of, of the film and then we end it in a very very deliberately um and you go back to one of the quotes from the yeah. 65 Watts coverage, which I thought was very powerful. Yeah. I was curious because you guys had ideas for what the music score would be at the beginning. Now, collaborating with a composer, I don't know if either of you, do you have like a deep understanding of, of writing music? Or like, what do you feel like is the best way to, to communicate with a composer and really <laughs> get your ideas across if, you know, you're trying to get them to change something or to do something specific? I think it's fun. me and TJ are just we both not that I'm super musically inclined but we were both in bands when we were younger music is just a huge 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 part of our life um, and we're probably in deep down inside wish we were musicians <laughs> um, and I think in working with composers when we have very specific musical ideas, I think one thing we've had to learn is to not try to be, um, not be overly specific um, and trust that you are hiring somebody because they are really good at what they do and you So you would never go to, to a point of saying, use a violin, use a piano. No, we, I mean, you do sometimes, but it's, I think it's, you know, it's also, it's about creating that um, right relationship and trust and communication. Cause like if the first thing you say to a composer is, hi, I'm, uh, you know, I want you to do my film. Now I want it 
to be a violin right here, then it's like it's taking all of their agency out of it. And it's like, why would they? They want to be creative too. They want to bring their own ideas, and that's the language that they speak in. So for us, I think in in the past films, we maybe gave too much, like right from the top, instead of saying, here it is. And with Danny and Sonder, it was like we sent them stuff. They would reply back basically with what their instincts were. And when their instincts were in line with what we were feeling anyways, we really didn't give them, we just give them encouragement. And then when something would come in that was very, it wasn't, it's not even that it wasn't, I mean, all of their music is good. It's whether or not it's fitting the correct tone. So like, there's a few spaces where maybe their music was too, um, too in line with the imagery that you were seeing and we really needed to juxtapose to it. Um, for instance, if they went too heavy in strings in an emotional moment, it would it, it would uh, betray the the approach of the film. Yeah, it's we just indicating it be, what you're seeing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I to me it's it's then you get to a point where like man, what would it sound like if we did? You know, then you can talk about instrumentation and. Um, yeah, it's like you talk about it when, like if this is only if you're working with a trusted <laughs> composer. <laughs> Uh, you can talk about instrumentation when you're when you're problem solving. Yeah. Right. Until then, like Dan said, you want to give them their own autonomy to like bring. Let them interpret the material yeah. their yeah. own way. With the guided help, because because we we cut ourselves and we were music people, we're already cutting sequences to music beds, and we have an idea of what it, how it should flow. So you have temp scores so in there. Temp oh, scores, yeah. and they can you see it as a in some composers we've worked with where. They don't want to hear the test score. They just want to see the scene, how it's built out. Some just want to see where's your head at. Where have you? What have you been listening to? What have you been? And that kind of gives them a, just at least a loose direction, and also gives them an opportunity to say, "I, I see what you're doing here, but think about this." Um, but I think the if you're working with a great composer, you're 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 not you want to be as least prescriptive as possible when it comes to. The tools that they are using you want to be more about like what is the intention of the scene mm -hmm. what's the what's the feeling you're trying to evoke uh, you don't want to be like I need a spike here versus you know the, the this here's a little mini emotional climax in the middle of this can we kind of like you know take advantage of that and let them determine how they're gonna take advantage of it musically yeah. and then what's cool is if, if you're again this only works if you're talking to someone who's like an <laughs> awesome composer yeah. who does their job well and then you get to the point where you built that trust because they're right in line with you. Then it's the it's all the problem solving stuff at the end where the trust is there, the communication is there, and then you can they trust you when you're suggesting like you know what maybe the violin is the thing drowning this out. Let's just go with the piano, and they might be like oh yeah that's interesting we'll try that we'll give that a shot. And that's usually closer to the end. The other thing we'll do is, um, and you have to work with a composer who's willing to give you your own. Um, who has to trust you in your own kind of what you see in in your own film and in their work, which is we'll just be like, you know what, that, that the piece is awesome. It's not working for the scene. We're gonna yeah. place it in another scene, and that happens all the time, constantly. We've re and Danny and Sonder love that. Too. Yeah, like exactly. they're they're actually like there's some I think there's some composers that do not like you taking something and placing it in another place. Because in their mind, it's only meant for that. One yeah, they've area. done it for that. I Yeah, I don't know the reasons. I mean, to me, it's like, why not? Like, find what works. 
it's all living in the same world. You're all inspired by the same yeah. little constraints of what this film is. So why not see? And you find crazy, like great stuff. Yeah, stuff Repurpose. you would never expect. Um, and yeah, I mean it's, but they're they are so. I don't know, they're just so good at what they do that um, they make it easy. Yeah, um, and we just had a. I mean, tremendous rapport with them right from the beginning. Um, and so it was a very relaxed... Um, I mean, we you know we sent them an email in December um, saying we're making a film that we basically want to create a, a symphony for. Yeah. And you guys so premiered at Tribeca in mm -hmm. April, right? Yeah. yeah. So they... They wrote back, and we were like, this is a very ambitious idea. We're going to want like 100 minutes of music for a 110-minute film. <laughs> and we have to lock picture in the middle of February. So they they created this in like six weeks. It was they were insane. Like, cool. Yeah, they were like, great. <laughs> um, while doing other projects, like, I mean, they're, they're extremely prolific, but they're just like, yeah, we, we speak a very, very similar language. So it was a group. That was, I think one of the great things that we'll be able to take forward from this project is our relationship with them. Yeah. They're really, really... One of the cool things about them is they are... Um, well, they're musicians themselves, so they will watch a scene and play along to it, loop that, play another piece, you know, another... Uh, either another instrument or uh, another iteration of, of uh, the composition to the actual... Um, uh, to the actual scene so you're not getting like MIDI tracks yeah. back and being like now imagine what the violin will the real violin will sound like you're actually getting a, you're getting a, a, a much closer feel of what what the scene's gonna again feel yeah. like because they're yeah, interpreting like, the instrument and, not and writing some weird it. Yeah. MIDI interpretation of what it could be so, there's places where we went back to yeah. the original temp recording that they did on a single violin as opposed to having the um, you know, the quartet or whatever, yeah. however many strings they ended up recording with, um, just because we liked the sound of the single um, violin in places. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I mean, just not to <laughs> obviously talking about them a lot because we're huge fans, but they also, I mean, we use some of their scores from other films as temp music, um, but then we also like used I love how a lot of hate that. Yeah. But we also used um, there's a lot of Arvo Part in there and other classical pieces that they are classically trained. Um, well, at least Danny went through a lot of classical training as a cellist, so they. But their breadth of classical music is so wide that they hear those things and they're like, oh, that is denoting a kind of religious. I, uh, tone and feel and idea that would be interesting for us to explore uh, religious th themes and um, and ideas in the in the music and you know that stuff we would never be able to yeah, pick up using on that as a metaphor and yeah the, just uh, even the, the sounds like they yeah. they you know the there's a few different themes in the film and one of the main chord progressions of one of the main themes are are these this chord progression that they were explaining to us if you like played this in music school, your professor would throw you out of class. Like there are things that should not go together, but it works so perfectly. It's such an unsettling feeling to have these 
chord progressions. Um, and it's, what did they, Sandra was saying, it's like, it's been, it like, yeah, there's different composers who have used that kind of idea. Um, and uh, like a lot of films that have that similar chord progression because it makes you unsettled. As a directing team, how have you guys developed over the years? Has it always been sort of clear what your jobs are on a given film in a sense, or sort of how you divide things up, or do you feel like you're kind of one brain in a way, if that makes sense? Definitely a lot of one brain action going on. Yeah, it is, and yeah. we're never good at answering this question. Because well, like there is, yeah, yeah, I don't, it's like, I think you've, when you were saying, and one thing, it's like, we don't even, I don't even know that we think of ourselves like, is there a, a lot of conflict between you guys, or? No. Yeah. I mean, there's like heated. More like healthy debate. Yeah. <laughs> but you get frustrated, like, yeah. you know, you can get yeah. frustrated, like, with anybody. Or you get really tied to an idea. Yeah. There's also, you know, there's a lot of shit wrapped up in, like, you might have an idea, and then your insecurities play out when TJ comes in and he's like, that, that's no good. And then I'm like, what are you talking about? It's so good. And then like, you know, if I take a break and walk in and like, oh, the, you know, and see it, I'm like, oh, it's not any good. And that's, you have to have, I think if anything, we've developed the trust that like, oh, we work together for a reason. So if, if TJ's like, that sucks, I'm like, <laughs> Oh, okay, that's why I'm with you. I don't need to argue it. Like, you're my eyes in that way, and vice versa. But, like, TJ has described it as, like, we're more of a, a creative partnership than, like, a directing team. Because we don't have, like... It's not like he's the goalie and I'm the forward. Or, like, you know, we, um, we just... It's, like, we enter a project, and, like, sometimes one of us is taking the lead on something because we have a really clear idea of what it should be. Yeah. And then other times, it's the other way around. Other times, it's both of us see the exact same thing and we are of one brain and it's like, you know, get the fuck out of our way. Let us just do this. Um, well, I think the benefit of being in a directing team is that you have that immediate feedback of an idea. It's not you isolated and yeah. then you're going to the producer or somebody else who's on the project. You know, you're... You're, you can improve things quicker because there isn't that kind of political filter. You guys are together. You know, you can say anything you want to each other. I, that to me is the, I've said to people often, like, and maybe this says more about my personality or something, but like the, uh, as a solo director, I would, I would, it would be really, you're in a, such a vulnerable place because everyone expects you to know the answer all of the time. You can never, you can't really show a sign of weakness because you're then that could filter out throughout your entire crew. And all the other departments could crumble under yeah. that in a way. And so you yeah. always have to look like you know exactly, but that's impossible. It's a, it's a, it's a stupid idea that anybody can <laughs> actually know what they're doing. And so to have, you know. TJ and I, I, we can pull each other aside and be like, do you know what to fucking do here? I'm like, no, I don't know. Like, okay, well, let's, well, should we do this? Yeah, let's do that. And you can, mm -hmm. it gives you a space to actually be vulnerable amongst a position where you oftentimes can't show that vulnerability, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think one of the things, I think that even though it might be semantics, but thinking about it more like a creative team and not like, like a directing is the 
is so much of the so much of it is like like for us talking about the thing the project the scene the clip for way too long over coffee is working that's a facet of work because our, our brains are are actually filtering through uh, and navigating what we want the thing to be and then you know then we can kind of go in each other's own spaces and make the thing um, I, I yeah I, it's it's weird it's the yeah I, I think know. It's, sometimes it's hard to talk about the it, process because it's literally process yeah it's very it's, instinctual yeah it's kind yeah. of instinctual I just too I also creatively I have a hard time like being on my own like I it there's something about the process of riffing with somebody mm-hmm. and and having somebody there to be like well what about this that energize and energizes me and then you start building ideas whereas like if I'm sitting by myself I'm like what about this? There's one idea. And then, then you're just, waiting then I'm to like, share that yeah. idea with somebody. Like, will they like it? Will they not? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we, there's no build. It's harder to, I find for, for me at least, it's harder to build. It's harder to like get more and more creative because I'm there's nobody challenging that. Like, well, what if it was this? Well, what if it was this? Well, what if it was that? And That's you, probably the big thing. Yeah. I think it's your, part of that trust is not just, uh, is this good or is this bad? Part of that trust is, say Dan did something, and I might think it's fucking great, but my first thing, unless like unless we're in rhythm and it's like yeah. awesome, move on next thing, you know. It, part of it is like, have you thought of this? Like challenging it in the right way. Yeah. So how do we make this thing that you made that's fucking awesome? But how do you make it even awesomer? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that that is just all rooted in in trust. So if anything. I think we've been working together for 10 years now. Um, if anything, I think that the trust is getting solidified in terms of like, I, I'm not gonna second guess his, um, his instincts, his, um, when he's not quite tapped into something, I might have to work harder to convince him why I think it is, but the reason I'm working harder to convince him is because I, I trust why he's having a hesitation or, uh, you know, yeah. um, and I, I could still be wrong. You know, he, his, his instincts might be right. But, but just having that conversation, having that conversation everything gets along, you right? thinking, yeah. it doesn't give you doubt, it actually gets you thinking deeper about the material. Um, and that only works if it's with someone with a trusted source. If I, if we were, if we were working solo and I was having this conversation with the producer who is more of a pr- typical producer type and not a creative type. I might just be like, "Well, I'm the director, so I'm creatively <laughs> smarter, so this is going," you know. But so it only works if there is trust. Um, so yeah, I think that's been really cemented over the years. Um, yeah. Now, if you look at this ten-year span that you guys have been working together, have you guys always been consistent in terms of what projects you want to pursue, what projects you're passionate about? And at this point, after LA '92, do you do you know what you want to do next? I definitely think our <laughs> I definitely think our in terms of our things that we're drawn to or what we want to do that has evolved and I I feel like 
our partnership is starting to take on its own identity of what what our partnership wants to do together. Because like, we, we have, like, you know, as a Venn diagram, we have a shit ton of overlap, um, but we're not two circles on top of each other, you know, we're a Venn diagram. So, like, there are things that, um, that we both are attracted to that maybe the other is not as much. But, like, and so I think that earlier on is, you know, why maybe we, you know, we would vacillate like we... I don't think our partnership is rooted in like comedy in any way, shape or form, but like I have a comedy background. We both like humor. So we leaned maybe some ways in there, but have found the little space where like what kind of comedy or humor works for us together. Um, you know, in terms of like style, that's a, you know, um, or design, like, I would say TJ has it leans more in that than I do, um, but we have found a great space where like um, where that style and and narrative sense can live together, where it's satisfying both of those things. So I and and then just subject matter is yeah. is I think his, and then in terms of what is yeah, next, if that were up to me, early ninety two would just be a. 110 minutes of just glitches. <laughs> really cool glitch in music. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's so hard to... It's interesting. I mean, documentaries, unlike narrative films, I mean, it's years of research, years of yeah. development, years of finding footage of, you know, of putting the movie together. So, I mean, is that... We're also, like, we get really singularly focused. So, like, we're not... You know, like how the fuck, like Michael Winterbottom, right? Is that <laughs> yeah, yeah. like puts out a new movie every year? Like I just don't get that. I don't. I could never. You either have to have like. Or you look he, at Alex Gibney, who does two, yes, three a year sometimes. But like Alex, I actually, I understand he's his process. Like he's got a team of people that he trusts. He That's is a writer. he is a writer, so he like he writes. You know, he's, he comes. There's a somewhat of a journalistic background, so like. I can see, I can actually see how that he is leading the ship and there is a big uh, amount of momentum behind him to be able to get those things yeah. done. Our process is extremely different. Like we consume ourselves in the thing that we're working on and that becomes to the detriment of our outside life that just becomes our life. So then when we like emerge from that, uh, it's very difficult to be like, what you we haven't there? thought about yeah, it. Like <laughs> in a cave for yeah, years yeah. now you're coming out and see sunlight um, again. <laughs> and you have to like, I remember reading, I think you had sent this to me years ago. Spike Jones did an interview kind of talking about this same thing. And he, um, if I remember correctly, like described it as like input and output periods. Like when you're making a film, it's all output. Like you're just like creating something and like you are just you exhaust every bit of your output and then you need coming out of that you need time to just input like read books that you haven't had a chance to read like you know get inspired by things that you didn't have time to get inspired by but yet there's this weird moment that you have when a film comes out that everybody wants to know what you're doing next so you have all of these relationships that are being built but you don't have anything to really do with it so it's a it's a strange 
uh, I mean, that's like the moment we're in right now, you know, going to meet like, um, everybody. Yeah. Executive at a studio. who's like, I want to make your next movie. What do you guys want to do? It's like, um, it's we, not that we don't have yeah, ideas, we, yeah, exactly. but it's, there's nothing, there's no tangible, you know, there's no like, for example, you know, one thing for us is we, neither of us went to film school. We're both self-taught. Documentaries was very accessible. Um, I mean, that's how we both learned how to shoot, cut on other people's projects, on our own small things. I stopped music videos for a while in Seattle. Um, but, uh, but it doesn't mean that we're solely we solely want it we just only want to do documentaries so for us it's how do you just big thing after undefeated was like don't get pigeonholed into being just like doc guys and so we went out and played the did the whole dance of trying to get attached to a scripted film and kind of learned that world and then kind of went back to docs but the um yeah the big thing is is it, it's a weird balance that i don't feel like a lot of people talk about since we're talking about process it's a weird balance of uh, staying true to your voice and and what you want to put out in the world and what kind of projects you want to immerse yourself into, but um, but like making sure that you don't fall off the train too far so that people. So you have to kind of strategize in a way. Yeah. You're strategizing, but it doesn't always. There's no equation for it. It doesn't really... I mean, because the, the, the other big variable that I think a lot of people don't really talk about is, um, at least for us, is you go, you, 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 you go hard on a project for like a long stretch of time, and then the thing comes out, and then you go hard on press, especially in the doc space, right? Because you are the face and the voice of Yeah, there's the no actors or exactly, anything to right? so talk you're, about. Yeah. You're out talking about film, film, film. Everything's about this film. You deliver this baby. And then and then it just stops. You don't go to another product. It just stops. you just this cliff, and you fall off that cliff, and you have this huge like postpartum um, because the everything's done, and you may have had stuff you were developing before you entered in that project but going back to that stuff is like where was I yeah. you know this is a half baked idea you know we pitched on it at one point and so you kind of have to get your yeah. first of all emotionally you have to come back to like living in real life again um, your life and then uh, and then you have to face the business side of things which is like yeah like what are you doing next I need to know now and you're kind of like, well, I don't know because I just made a film. <laughs> so you guys have been under that what are you doing next pressure for the yeah. last few months in a way. Yeah. It's also just really hard to like... This sounds like a lot of I mean, yeah, yeah, totally. It yeah, we are in, we're in the fucking most privileged position yeah. in the world and it's not complaining. It's just, it, it, but it is the experience. Like, But I think the, people have like an interpretation that just because, you know, just because you make a film doesn't mean it's easy to make the next film. Yeah. It's well, not yeah. one You also know more. You also yeah. know more so you know what you're getting into. So right. like, I mean, I've, this week, I've been sitting, staring at my computer trying to write one page of this treatment that we have for this project. It should be the simplest, easiest thing. And I'm just, I can't do it. And like, part of it I think is you, one, you know what it means to like, oh God, if this like goes, then I have to go through that 
again. Yeah, years um, yeah there's like this almost like self-sabotage <laughs> of like, don't do it, don't do it. But then there's also just like, it's purely like trying to work your, at least for me, like getting your mental space to the place where you can get excited because you're just fucking drained. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I was trying on this to like just ride the wave, like go like, don't take any time off because like maybe, <laughs> but then like we took some time off and now I'm like, it's so hard to get back into, back the, into the, the like movement. But, but partly this because there's just not a concrete, it's hard to get back into the movement of saying, choosing yeah. the thing that is going to be pitched. Right, not the like. Here is a concrete yeah. job, right? The thing that's going to be pitched because you're going to put a lot of energy into this pitch. That is just not even a fifty-fifty. It's like a ten percent chance yeah. of it going, right? So then it's like, what do you want to start that over? How many times are you going to do that over and over and over again? But when you guys go to pitch, do you say, "Well, I have these three pitches I can give you," or do you just focus on one? Oh, you... just one. And yeah. when we say pitch, we're like. Like if I mean, so- this that we're talking about, like, we just have, like, some doc series that we think would be interesting that we would be more producers on. Um, right. In terms of films, you know, that is, like, that's a whole nother thing, you know? Like, when we, we had a couple uh, that were, like, studio projects that were for hire, um, meaning, like, you know, oh, not, an open not project in their, in their... Open directing yeah. assignment kind of thing. Um, you know, and one of them, we, it was us and then the eventual director and the movie went on to make like $500 million. Um, and it's really, and we spent a ton of time, like, uh, you know, that, that's where you're going in and you're spending a ton of time pitching your vision for the film. And that is, that's a job within itself. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, you are... An unpaid job. Yeah, you're not, yeah. And we make, (laughs) you know, you're making all of these materials. Like, it's become, you know, I think, I don't know what it was like 20 years ago, but I can't imagine people were cutting together mood reels and like making boards and like... Yeah, like I heard like like the last Spider-Man movie, I think five, six, maybe even ten directors were pitching on that for months and months and months and not getting paid and then they finally picked the person. Yeah. So... It's, it's a crazy process. And then to know that, like, then you get down, it's like yeah. you and somebody else, and, like, it's days of them going back and forth in the room, and you're like, oh. <laughs> like, at one point, that means we were being, you know, like, we were the front runners. Then, yeah, maybe yeah. it should be that person. And I mean, it, it, look, the pro- it, makes, it makes sense if you are on the other side. If you're from a business standpoint, yeah, yeah, it makes sure. total sense. It is, I think, it, this is for myself, it's hard to make, it's hard to make that commitment um, knowing that it's going to take a tremendous amount of time and at the end of it, if you don't get it, you don't have a piece of work to show for it, you just have this pitch. That's yeah. not, yeah. you know, you didn't, for, not to sound pretentious, you didn't make art in the fucking pitch, you made a pitch, <laughs> yeah. you know, you're selling something. And, and uh, you know, the other thing is for like, for us that straddle this kind of like because we also shoot commercials so like we straddle a lot of different spaces for us that aren't just like solely I think it might be easier if we were like we're just doing documentaries because oh, yeah. I think our brain space would be just a little bit more focused but because we straddle all these different spaces when we get off of a dock you don't have the 
like the financial capacity to just, or the prowess to just say, I'm going to take three, four months, curate the next idea, or really just dive into this one pitch. Um, And I don't think a lot of people talk about that, specifically in the doc space. Yeah, because doc... I mean, not to be too detailed, I guess documentary salaries for yeah, directors, not, at least from what I've <laughs> found out through the process too, it's not as much as narrative in, no, in this way. So. And again, we're also in a privileged yeah. place in that. Like we get paid pretty well comparatively, um, but still it's not like you It can, doesn't like, yeah, once you're finished the project, it doesn't afford you this yeah. like, you know, even if it's critically acclaimed, no matter what it is, it doesn't necessarily afford you the time. It's really time. It, it's it's done wonders for us, like in terms of opening up doors and building out relationships. But it doesn't afford you the time to con- to continue to curate at the level in which you it, you desire to, right? Yeah. Uh, in terms of what your own expectations are of your own work. So. Um, Is that Louis C.K. at the Oscars? I don't know. Only one winner is yeah. driving home in a fucking beat up Honda. And like it's so fucking true. Like we won our Oscar. I went back to my shitty apartment in Koreatown and like a bunch of unpaid parking tickets and like, you know, great, I've got this like you know, and obviously that moment then after some time did change our trajectory. But So from a business perspective, after winning an Academy Award or having a film that has a lot of recognition to it, I mean, are you being told by certain, like you have to strategize, like you have to kind of I think it just depends on what you want to do. I mean, and and figuring out how you want to, how you want to exist in the business that you're in. Like, you know, we definitely could have like cashed in and been maybe more like strategic about our business decisions and like um, you know there's there were definitely opportunities thrown at us and if you're really savvy you know you could probably like on a business side and that's what you care about um, you could really take advantage of that um, we're not motivated by that and and I think you know it that's another thing that we've learned is like that game doesn't it's not exciting to us and so we need to like game be in the work too yeah i mean not, i mean not it just we we work when we're working we have to like love the thing that we're doing cuz i for me like and that's going to make the film better at the end of the day yeah. so it's working also, on I something you're not yeah. passionate about you're not in all the way yeah i also don't know how to work any other way like i i would be scared to death to like be given some shitty script and be like go sh- go direct this and like <laughs> I what like I don't that like our real talent I think is that we that we do like really it's the passion that we're gonna have for the thing not the like oh I know exactly how to set up you know how to sh- cover this and uh, let's get our pickups over here and moving on everybody like you know like the, the kind of more general style of of directing of like um you know running the ship i guess um but that's you know i think the hard thing too is the you know after undefeated the type of even though it created a bridge into the narrative space for us just because it, it feels like an interview you almost forget you're watching a documentary the type of stuff that was that were coming at us were sports films and like you know 
why a like oh you guys work with teenagers and <laughs> sports and so it was like kind of Disney centric kind of feeling stuff yeah and I I, I guess I, I kind of get it but you're also looking at that and that's what when Dan's saying like we're business savvy maybe but at the same time you're thinking about like but that's not really the what I'm attracted to creatively I would never go out of my way to do that so why would I do it now all of a sudden um, and you're you're still you you want to pretentious as it sounds you want to preserve the integrity of your brand and the hope of doing that is you actually have a career that spans many years and not you're not a fad for seven eight years um, and then that fad runs out of steam and like what did you make these kind of like cookie cutter films yeah, yeah. that's right sometimes it's just it's better just to wait and just to find that right yeah but it's really yes yeah. but it's hard to learn not to belabor this point, and this is like becoming a therapy session for us at this point. But That's like, great. What are you talking about? Uh, <laughs> um, but like, when you're in the middle of it, you're again that insecurity of like, oh, am I fucking up? Am I like wasting opportunities? Like, we had a producer. We kept passing on like stuff, and to the frustration of our representation, and <laughs> and then many producers. And we had this producer. Yeah, we're not making any money for our reps. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we had this producer who's multiple winning Academy Award producer, big guy, deal. He was a huge fan of Undefeated, and he was like determined to make a movie with us. So he kept sending us scripts, but we just didn't respond to them. And like people are like, are you, you know, crazy? Like this, like this dude sending just like say yes, just do it, like figure it out. And we're like, yeah, but I don't, I don't know. I don't like it. And then after the third script that he'd sent us or something, you know, we called our agent. And we're like, yeah, you know, we're just not, we're not feeling it. And then we get like a, a call like back like two minutes later. So-and-so wants to talk to you directly. We're like, oh, okay. Like, you know, we're thinking like we've had a bunch of meetings with this guy. Like, it's cool. And, uh, you know, so put it on speaker. We're like, hey, what's going on? And he's like... You guys are fucking blowing it. <laughs> and we're like, uh, what? He's like, you're fucking blowing it. He's like, you had a window that was wide open, and it's and if it's not shut already, it's super close to being shut. And we're like, um, okay, well, we don't like any of the stuff. <laughs> like, I don't know what to tell you. But, like, that was like, you know, you hear that from somebody who's had a shit ton of success. You're like, oh, God, like, are we fucking up? Like, is this... And it took a while, I think, then for us to go, oh, wait, what got us here was that we just did the things that we wanted to do, and yeah. we need to get back to just doing that. And that's where, like, LA-92, when that came to us, it was like, Still oh, God, this is, like, yeah, yeah, and this this is, like, and we can, um, we can make this the way that we want to make it. And, um, and, yeah, and so it was, it was... I mean, they, uh, very, yeah. very helpful, I think, to return to this place of like, oh yeah, our instincts are going to be what guides us and we have to trust those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the the, good, the the silver lining in all this is I feel like that by nature of, I mean, there's just so many platforms now for just content to exist that you can, that you can create your own model in that sense and you don't actually have to you haven't totally struck out if you didn't if we didn't yeah. ride the wave of undefeated, you know, and yeah. actually take a studio film or something like that. No, the business is changing so much it's now. It's changed so, so much. Priorities. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, I, it's I, so funny. Uh, sorry, yeah. speaking of, because obviously people are interested in the, uh, you know, film here. Like four years ago, going around to studios, they're like, we we're like, oh, you know, we're kind of interested in making like mid-level <laughs> dramas, like you know, twenty million. 15, 20 million dollars. Oh, those are dead. Nobody's making those anymore. You guys either got to do like super low budget or you got to, you know, do big, big superhero movie. Like, oh, the mid range dramas are dead. Now, just going out in the last few weeks and meeting with people, we're really looking for like 15 million dollars, 20 million dollar <laughs> mid range dramas. That's what everybody, and it's like, yeah. oh my God. Well, after uh, Manchester by the Sea, I think it was yeah. like 50 million and above. Yeah. Straight drama, you know, yeah. nothing had permeated like that yeah. in so long well and and Amazon La La and, yeah La La Land get out I mean you have all of get these out. like yeah. original ideas and it's like oh maybe trusting the instincts of the filmmakers to make personally driven like <laughs> ideas will connect with people um, but there's also you know like having Netflix Amazon these places uh, where you can find that audience in a way is, is also driving a lot of that I mean there's like business reasons that that's happening too but yeah. um but yeah, it but just the benefit of that. I think the idea is you can stop. Look, like to think. I think it's naive to think that every creative person doesn't think about how is it, am I going to have an audience, right? Anyone who's like, no, no, man, I just, I just immerse myself in my work. <laughs> you're like, no, 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 no. You're figuring out a way to pay your bills too, um, and and you also want someone. To, you want eyes on your material because um, half of what the process is. You live for the process, even when it's a love-hate thing that you're, you know, yeah. you're waking up dreading to go and dive back into the edit. But you're also like, that's this is this is part of it. This is part of the experience. Yeah. But the the other the big payoff, oftentimes for us, is uh, is sitting in a theater and the engagement from just it, like it works. You see people laugh. You see people what was the ways. experience of being at Tribeca with LA 92 and having in front of an audience like that Tribeca was Tribeca felt like kind of an average festival experience I think the bigger the the more dynamic there's a couple things that were more dynamic than Tribeca Tribeca felt more like a like a launching point for uh, a a, a a greater kind of uh, purpose and that was just to get it out like announce it get it out in the world it, had, it was really well uh, responded really well at Tribeca but the I think the more interesting dynamic screenings were we did a series of uh, these kind of word-of-mouth screenings that were uh, specifically curated around um, screening at communities in which uh, uh, Conversations of police misconduct and, and you know police misconduct itself is something that's kind of a day to day occurrence. So we're like Atlanta, Chicago, St. Louis, Baltimore, and and then uh, you know we screen the film and we'd have Q and As that were uh, less like talking about process, but like getting a little sense of where our heads were at, but that's still but like opening it up for the audience to uh, engage and share their own experiences. Those uh, were incredible. Um, and that was, I think, what we live for more is, and that's why it takes us so long to figure out what projects we're going to do is because you want you want people to engage emotionally in the work, or that's the hope at least. And then within doing that, maybe it elicits kind of a greater conversation. Um, 
about either the subject matter or ourselves. Um, maybe we look at things differently. And then at the tail end of that, we had a, the LA premiere at the LACMA, and that was about you know, 60, 600 people deep. We had a great panel, but that was the biggest screening we had. And that was a very, to screen in Los Angeles with people that from all walks of life that ex experienced lots in 65, some people experienced 92, some weren't even born then, um, and also from all over the city um, to be, you just know when an audience is in it. And to be in it, but also like verbally talking to the screen, emoting, um, and for all, it seemed like all 600 to stay for a Q&A that was like a good, I don't know, 40 minute, 45 minute Q&A, just like glued to what, you know, uh, every panelist had to say. That's, 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 you can't, money can't really yeah. buy Because you're making experience. the film for the audience. You're making yeah. it for them to have this impact, to have yeah. this engagement with the material. Yeah, you're making it for the, I feel like the, it, that's always a weird thing for me because you, you can't deny that you're bringing a part of, a big part of yourself to the, to the work and you are selfishly like making distinct creative choices for yourself but doesn't mean that you're not not thinking about the audience. Like at the end of the day, you do want, you don't want to lose them. And they are, they are all, you're bringing them as, a, you're thinking about them as a variable while you're constructing it. They are absolutely in the back of your head as a part of the process, for, for me at least. Yeah. You know, I just hear a lot of filmmakers that are like, make it for yourself first. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but like that's, why are you, why? Yeah. So you look at it, watch it, and be like, yeah, Why awesome. do you put it like, in theaters? Pat yourself on the back and like, I find the screenings that are the most, <clears throat> like, I don't know, moving to me or whatever, that have the most impact on me or the, what would be like the kind of fine cut screenings. Like once we get the film to a place where we think it, like people could watch it, but we don't know if it works, that's always the, and then to see something that you've, like TJ is saying, you're doing all of these things, but you are in the back of your head thinking like, ultimately this has to make sense to people. Yeah. And or how a certain you know, moment will have an impact. Exactly. And how yeah. it will react. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and on this one in particular, because it was like an undefeated, I remember we did a, like almost like a test screening thing. And that was, you know, that film is like kind of bread and butter documentary. Like it's not like we're doing anything mm. crazy in that. Um, <clears throat> but it was like, is this, is this going to be able to transcend to the place that we want it. Like, is this gonna be as affecting as we think it is? And then to see an audience go through the experience that we really wanted them to go through, that was like really moving. Like, I, I got emotional at that, way more than I did at like the premiere at South by Southwest or Toronto or like, those are all cool things. But like, to me it was like, oh my God, this thing that we've you know spent all of this time on is actually working. And then on this, there was this like risk that we were kind of taking. like. Can this even, will people follow it? Is it going to be too exhausting? Like, there's no character, you know, like... You can't attach yourself yeah. to a character. Um, you know, a lot of people we talked about on the outset <clears throat> doing it this way were, like, very, <laughs> like... Discouraging? Uh, yeah, yeah, not, yeah. like... Well, a little... <clears throat> yeah. yeah. 
can't be done. Yeah, can't be done, <laughs> or, well, good luck, you know. Um, and uh, so the first time that we screened it uh, in a theater with, like, it wasn't quite done, but it was, like, close, and we brought in just, like, everyday people and, like, and then to watch to s- when the credits came up on the film, and it was, like, the most silent, like hear a pin drop in the theater in the way that we wanted it to be. Like, people were like, what the fuck was that? You know, like, we, you could feel that we shocked them in the way that we wanted to. And then the conversation that came out of it afterwards was like, oh, awesome. Mm-hmm. Like, this, it, this works. So those are the screenings to me that are way more... I, I am... That's what I care about than more than, like, festival screenings or anything. Yeah, festivals mm-hmm. are... I mean, they can, they can be fun, but they're... I feel like they're... In terms of like a filmmaker experience, there—it's uh, a little bit of a because uh, it's not a regular audience. It's more of an it's industry a audience. audience yeah, it's yeah. Not, you're not really always. This sounds super weird, but you're not engaging with real, real people. <laughs> you're engaging with the film fans. Film fans. Yeah, um, and to. Which to be quite frank, it can be really homogenous. Um, I think the festival circuit is a certain type of person, a certain community, um, and that's awesome. And it's it's really um, it's really uh, it's it, in the same level that you want your peers to respect your work. It's really great to have that support from a, a, like a solid film base, but you want to. You know, ideally with work, you want to transcend that. You want to get to the person that's like, I don't usually watch documentaries, but I watch your film and like it changed my life. That's much infinitely more re- re- rewarding, you know, because um, it's also selfishly you get something back from whether it's just not what they said, but also the conversation. Maybe you engage with that person and you are reminding yourself a little bit of why you, you, you do the work. Um, you know, anytime someone even that the, they don't have to have a, an epiphany but someone says like you know I, it reminded me of this story in my life and or it brought up all these emotions that I had buried you're just kind of like I'm sorry that happened and then we're like no no it's a good thing you're like Awesome. <laughs> you know? Well, I think with LA 92, you know, so many people can look at these events in an abstract way, just reading about them. Right. But this yeah. film is just so immersive and you're there and you can understand from just a core emotional perspective what was happening and why people were feeling a certain way. And I think that creates a bridge between a lot of groups to understand yeah. why these events happened and not just to judge it in a very stereotypical way. Yeah. That's, uh, it's, I mean, there's two thoughts. It's funny you say that. One, one is the, the community that we've, that has responded extremely well to the film is like millennials. Like anyone who's like 28, 25 and under, the, I guess that would be more than just millennials, but the, because it is like, either they read a Wikipedia page or the byline in a history book, they just had, and because we live in a day and age where, information is a lot of information is consumed um, via video like different type uh, uh, yeah. different way of consuming content right and then not, not just reading articles and that you know we're speaking in a language we're doing a, a, a history project and a using and speaking in a visual language but also doing it in a way that's just letting 
that's not being guided through uh, a, a quote-unquote expert or something like that. They, uh, I mean, they are, m most people that age are like visibly shaken by it. Partly because they know what's going on, they're in tune with what's happening now, um, not recognizing and having never recognized that the that there are so many similarities in terms of um, in terms of policy, in terms of how uh, uh, how there's a uh, consistent severe miscommunication between. Uh, communities at risk and and communities that are kind of suffering through a socioeconomic plight that is just the fucking same, um, and I think that like just like shook them to and then to see uh, to have that information and then to see the trajectory of it coming down to a place of like basically a city on fire and people getting murdered was just kind of as is I think blew a lot of their minds, um, and it's. There's a screening we did in, was it Atlanta? There was a gentleman who was probably in his mid-70s, who was like a local, uh, he owned like a music store, and I guess his family has a history of, uh, you know, of uh, uh, being like a local business owners in the community. But he stood up, he was the first person to stand up, and he was like, all you young people in this audience, the way you feel right now, this is the way your parents felt, this is the way their parents felt, this is the way their grandparents felt, this is the way their great-grandparents felt, and now you know when we're talking, you know, what we've been talking about over the course of these years um, in terms of uh, inequity, in terms of injustice, in terms of um, uh, racism, uh, and that, that it just kind of tied it all together, like this idea that, um, that we're having the same conversation, uh, things might be slightly different in terms of technology or whatever it might be but we're still having the core foundation of this country is still kind of having the same uh, conversation that we can't seem to get past yeah i think it's important to acknowledge that that we're we're still at that point that we yeah. haven't grown as much as we thought we had yeah yeah well how can everybody check out the film is it still on nat geo on demand uh i believe it's still on demand um think it's on Hulu for sure uh, you can rent it on iTunes and um, <clears throat> on Amazon as a rental as well um, but it's if you have Hulu it's streaming um, on there and then it's gonna expand um, into other streaming services uh, those details are being worked out well. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but uh, but yeah it's um, it's out there well, thank you guys for taking the time. Yeah. I really thank appreciate you. it. Thank you for this. It was a lot of fun.